0: Well, if you have a Bible, and we're gonna we're gonna move along here quickly as we can. It's already already seven twenty-three, and uh, already beginning to regret that I showed you the video. Um, we're gonna turn over to Matthew chapter five, and we are gonna look at one of the Beatitudes tonight. We are in the Sermon on the Mount, and I am loving it, and I hope you are as well. But in all seriousness, I am enjoying it greatly, and. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 7. We're looking at the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes show us the life that God commends and approves of. If you want to know, you know, what does, what, does, what kind of life does God commend? What kind of God, life does God say, I approve of that? We're looking at it here in the Beatitudes beginning in verse 2 uh, and on, but especially verses 2 through verse 10. So let's look at verse... Uh, seven. It's brief. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now if you've been with us, some of you have, you've been here each night, some of you haven't been able to. I, I want to just quickly point out the flow of things. Okay? In fact, I would encourage you, if you're here tonight and you're, you know, maybe looking at this, and just kind of this evening before you go to sleep, you, you just run back to, to verse two and blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, And and just read these and pick up on the flow, okay? Uh, The flow. In other words, these these Beatitudes are not just little phrases thrown out there. They have an order to them. They have an order to them. And I think uh, uh, I found it's three paragraphs. I think it's in your notes, but you're going to see it on the overhead. Three things that might help us to think about the flow. So I want us to look at the first paragraph here. It says, the first three Beatitudes deal with our need. We're poor in spirit because we don't have what it takes to live as God commands. We mourn because our sins are many. We become weak rather than self willed and defiant because we can't direct our lives wisely. These are the roots of a blessed and godly life. So I want you to get a picture roots. You see, you just get a, 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 the imagery of, of roots. Now let's look at the next paragraph. Out of these roots come the shoots of the fourth beatitude, which we've already looked at, a hunger and thirst for righteousness. God uses the root of sensing your need to produce the shoot of longing for righteousness. When the roots of the first three beatitudes are nourished, a desire for righteousness will grow. Okay, so you got that imagery, roots, and then the shoots begin to spring forth. Now look at the next paragraph here. Continuing the metaphor, the roots produce shoots and the shoots produce, or I should say, bear fruit. The first fruit of this blessed and godly life is mercy, which we're looking at tonight. Then purity next week, or I should say two weeks, would be pure in heart and peace. So get that imagery in your mind. There's the roots. Of the, the first three Beatitudes are like roots. And then from those roots, these shoots begin to spring forth of a desire, a hunger, and a thirst for righteousness, which we looked at last week. Now we're seeing in the next Beatitude and the following Beatitudes, the fruit. And one of the first fruits that we see of the blessed and godly life that God commends is mercy. So our text this evening is speaking of one of those fruits. And so here's the question first. Why is mercy important? Why why is mercy even important? When I think about it this way, the Beatitudes are describing the kind of people who are part of God's kingdom. They're, they're, it, the Beatitudes are describing God's children, God's, God's redeemed children. And if that's true, then we would expect to reflect the king's values. Notice, if we're part of the kingdom, if we're part of the kingdom of God, we're called to reflect the values of our king. Or, put it another way, if we're God's children, if we're God's redeemed children, then we are called to imitate our Father in heaven. So when we ask why is mercy important, we have to begin with God himself. So take your Bible and turn over to Exodus chapter 34. Okay, So we're asking the question, why is mercy important in the first place? In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, Moses has said, Lord, I want to see, uh, see you. I want to see you. I want to know who you are. And in Moses... In, in chapter 6, or I should, should say 34 and verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And then he goes on with others. But th- what I wanted you to see is verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful. So why is mercy important? Why? Uh, are blessed are those who are merciful because our Father in heaven is a God who is a God who is merciful. He is rich in mercy. And you'll see this verse on the overhead, Lamentations chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, because of the Lord's mercies toward us, our failures will never have the last word. Okay? Because God is rich in mercy, because his mercies are new every day, because he has a God who is merciful, our failures, failures of his people, will never have the last word. So, uh, the Lord is merciful. But notice it said the Lord is merciful And gracious. And so I think we need to take a moment and tease out the difference between the two. Because when when you're in the church, you sing songs, you know, like songs about the mercy of God and the grace of God. And sometimes we might think they're the same thing. And though there's some similarity, there are differences. So let's take a moment to talk about first, and let's clear this up. Because we want to talk about mercy, but we need to know what is the difference between mercy and and grace, and you see it in your notes, and look at it closely with me, mercy always deals with the results of sin, such as pain, misery, and distress, but grace always deals with the sin itself, okay? So there's the first distinction. Mercy always deals with the results of sin. What is the results of sin? It would be a number of them, but pain, misery, and distress. Mercy has to do with that. Grace deals with the sin itself. Another example is grace answers to the undeserving, while mercy answers to the miserable. Okay. So grace, grace primarily, when we sing about grace, we talk about grace, it's, it's primarily speaking to those who are undeserving. But mercy is speaking to those who are in misery, in pain, the results of sin. So there's a good distinction we need to, we need to think about that. Okay? Now, uh, t- t- turn over. I'm, I'm trying to make sure I've got enough time to get all this in. But turn over to Hebrews chapter 4, okay? We're going to look at a few verses tonight, but Hebrews chapter 4, okay? Hebrews chapter 4. And in Hebrews chapter 4, we find uh, both mercy and grace together once again. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now notice this verse. Let us, since this is true, since this is real, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So there we find grace and mercy. And I thought... I would read this little small paragraph. It's from uh, Tom Schreiner's commentary on these verses. And uh, I think it's neat. Listen. The throne is designated as one of grace. The throne of grace. Believers draw near to the throne boldly, for they know it is a throne of grace by virtue of Jesus' work, not a throne of wrath. Hence, they confidently and gladly ask God to grant them mercy, presumably for sins they have committed at the same time, they petition God for grace for the strength and power to face every situation in life. God's grace is poured out as believers request help when they are overwhelmed. The term for help there is where it echoes where Jesus is a high priest who is able to help. And so, again, you see mercy and grace together in making a distinction. Now, let's get down to the real meat. What is mercy? What is it? Now, someone might say, well, mercy is kindness. And while that's part of mercy, okay, it's not really fully what mercy is. So let's, I, I, I heard somebody put it this way. Kindness is a friend calling when you are well. Mercy is a friend calling when you are sick. That's a helpful distinction, right? Um, kindness Friend calling when you're well. It's kind of you to call me. But mercy is somebody who calls when they know you're sick and in need. So what is mercy? I don't think there's a better way of discovering this than looking at Luke chapter 10. So take your Bible and turn over to the gospel of Luke chapter 10. This will give us a great picture as we ask the question of what is mercy. So Luke Chapter 10, and we will look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, this this man, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and and who who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you, whatever more you spend, I will pay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Uh, there's a lot we could you know, pull out of this story here, but here's, here's, here's what I want to get to. What are the two components of mercy that's given in this parable? You can cheat and look in your notes, okay? <laughs> what are the two components? The first one is what, Carolyn? compassion, okay? You saw that in verse 13. Notice it says, but as a Samaritan, a Samaritan he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now what is compassion? A tenderness of heart. It has to do with feeling, internal feeling. He came upon the scene, the Samaritan came upon the scene, and it said he saw him. He saw the wounded man. And in seeing the situation, it stirred feelings within him. Uh, it affected his heart. What he saw affected his heart. Uh, but then what happens next? Uh, he, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on wool and wine, put him on his own animal, took him to the inn. He even said, look, you know, I'm going to pay what he needs, and if there's anything extra, anything extra, if, you know, he, <laughs> you know if, whatever extra he needs, you know, when I come back through, I'll take care of it. The second component of mercy is mercy. The first component is compassion. Heart stirred, feelings, emotions. Mercy, though, is the second component. What is that? It is active good will. In other words, he did something. He he acted upon his compassion. He acted upon his feelings. See, one could have don't you think one could have sympathetic feelings about a situation. They could show compassion yet never activate those feelings into active goodwill. And that might happen for us a lot. You know, we, 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 we see a situation, we hear about a situation that touches our heart, and you know, and we, we feel like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. And that, that's, that's one component of mercy. Yet it's unlikely that active, real active goodwill or mercy will be shown without compassion. We've got to ha- In other words, we've got to ha- I think compassion needs to be there it's unlikely that we're ever going to actively do goodwill to someone without feeling compassion. But mercy is more than just feelings. It's more than just compassion. It's active goodwill. Now, quick question. Why do you suppose the Samaritan stopped, had compassion and mercy, active goodwill? Why do you suppose the others did not stop? I mean, we don't know. It's just, I'm just asking. We're speculating. Why, why do you suppose the others didn't stop? Well, okay, exa- exactly. That, that's certainly, that's certainly a, a reason, you know, Samaritans you know, and Jews did not relate to one another in a good way. They hated one another, of course. Uh, so, yeah, that could certainly be one reason. Uh, l- l- let me, let me ask, ask it this way. What are, the, what are some of the reasons... What are some of the reasons we might not show mercy? Don't, okay, don't want to get involved? Um, okay, we, we know from this story that there were people who passed by, uh, it, no indication that they even had any compassion, much less active goodwill to step in, okay? So here's, here's what we want to ask you just for a couple of minutes here. Why is it? Why is it that sometimes what what is the reason? What you know, really drilling down, what is the reason, perhaps that we don't show mercy when we could or should? Could it be? Could it be that we have felt our own need for mercy far too little? Okay, now just stop and think with me. I don't. I don't want you to get a picture. Okay, I don't want you to have the exclusive picture of just the man on the road beat up. Beat up. I don't. Because you know we we can argue about that all night, saying how dangerous it was or how not dangerous it was. We can argue about that all night. So let's just take that off. Let's just take that off the table, and let's just think about somebody who is in need of mercy. Why is it that we are often reluctant to show mercy? Could it be that we feel our own need for mercy far too little? Uh, in other words, could it be that we could it be that we feel like our need for mercy is kind of like a feather rather than a boulder. You see, according to Scripture, our need, our need for mercy is like a boulder, okay? It should land on us like a boulder. We should feel our own need for mercy. Uh, another question or, or, or possibility. Is it because we have only a superficial understanding of the riches of God's mercy to us? see, this is exactly what this beatitude is talking about. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are those who show mercy. Okay? What, what, what Jesus is saying here is, once, once you have felt the weight of your need for mercy, the reaction will be to show mercy to others. And if we don't, If we don't, it means that we haven't felt the full weight of our need for mercy. We haven't valued the mercy of God. We have only a superficial understanding of our need, the mercy of God. And that is the assumption in this beatitude. Look at it with me. If you've truly received mercy... In other words, if if, if that's connected with you, if you've really connected with, God has been so kind to me, God has been so merciful to me in my multiple failures, in my mess-ups, God has been so merciful to me, in other words, it's been a boulder to you rather than a feather, then what will you want to do? You will want to pass it on to others. That's what Jesus is saying here. By grace you understand that you're not better or superior to others and so you're more sensitive to the plight of others. You see, when we've really tasted the grace of God and we know that we're in the family of God, not because we're some super special person or that we're superior to another class of people or another race of people, once that really clicks with us, then it helps us to be more sensitive to the brokenness and the failures of other people, you see. And the result is we know when God's mercy is working on us when we are merciful to others. When you, when you are showing the mercy, mercy to people who, who, who you, you, others might say, don't waste your time, don't fool with them, they don't deserve it, they've messed up over and over. When you are showing mercy to them, it's an indication that God's mercy is working on you. That's what this beatitude is saying. Uh, and, and think about it. Think, think about this. How could an unmerciful person receive mercy themselves? Because look, look at the parable, not parable, but the uh, beatitude. Uh, what did it say? Blessed, blessed are those, blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Okay. So here's the question: How could an unmerciful person? receive mercy in the first place in other words the one who is not merciful is inevitably so unaware of their own state that they think they need no mercy see no no wonder it says if you're merciful you'll receive mercy but if you're unmerciful you won't receive it because you won't think you need it (laughs) see that person can't picture themselves as miserable and wretched so how should god be merciful toward them How could God be merciful towards somebody who says, I don't need it, I'm not that bad, I'm not in trouble. By contrast, the person who reflects the earlier Beatitudes is conscious of their spiritual bankruptcy, they grieve over it, and they're tempered by the mercy they've been shown. So this Beatitude means that those who are truly God's children, so let's let's think about it this way. Those who are truly God's children, and as such are the objects of, Of their Father's mercy will themselves be merciful and will receive mercy in the end. Showing mercy is evidence we have received mercy. You'll see a verse on the overhead, James 2 and 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, this verse will help you more if you know what James is talking about just before he says these words. What is he talking about in his little letter? In James chapter 2 especially, he, he drills down church members. Church members are more welcoming to the wealthy than they are to the poor. They are guilty of discriminating and saying, you, you well-dressed people, you well-dressed people, uh, c- come over here. Come over here and, and, and sit with us. And you are not so well-dressed. You who don't seem to have it together, you know, those people. You, know, you sit down here at my feet. You just stay away from me. See? Church people were doing that. And that was what James was addressing and ultimately said these words. So I, I, looked, up, I looked up one of my commentaries on... The Book of James, and I, I got to read this because when you when you read this at first, you think for judgment. Well, you read the word judgment. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment, and uh, it might be a, it might seem a little complicated. Might, you know, I think I know when I first read it, I didn't quite understand it like I should understand it. And so in this in this commentary, I think it will help. Now listen listen to what he says about the verse that we see there. But whose mercy? is it that triumphs over judgment? Mercy triumphs over judgment. We might be inclined to think, well, that's God. God's mercy triumphs over his judgment. Uh, Some commentators think that that's the case. However, the mercy, this commentator says this, the mercy that James has, has been referring to in this context is human mercy, not God's mercy. Here's why. We therefore think it is more likely that he is making a point about the way in which the mercy we show toward others shows our desire to obey the law of the kingdom and indirectly, therefore, of a heart made right by the works of work of God's grace. The believer in himself will always deserve God's judgment. Conforming to the royal law is never perfect, as it must be, but our merciful attitude and actions will count as evidence of the presence of Christ within us. And it is on the basis of this union with the one who perfectly fulfilled the law for us that we can have confidence of vindication at the judgment. So, in the context that that James is writing about, uh, this this ju- judgment is without mercy to one who's shown no mercy in others. It's how we how we treat one another. Not not showing mercy. Not showing mercy will will will. only only shows, only shows that we really, really haven't seen our need for mercy. We really haven't connected with our need for mercy and the enormous mercy that God has shown for us in Christ. Uh, there's, There's a verse that I want us to look at, Matthew chapter 9. You'll see it on the overhead here. I was looking at this the other day because it it fits very well with what we're looking at. It says, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus was mingling with those people, sinners, the outcasts. And so the religious leaders were saying, "Why, why is he doing that? But when he heard it, and it's when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous but sinners. So notice what he's saying. Religious leaders are saying, hey, Jesus is eating with the sinners and all this. Why is he doing that? And Jesus said, you need to go learn a quote, a quote from the Old Testament book of Hosea. Go learn what this means. When Hosea wrote, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, just take a minute. What does that, when you read that, what does that sound like to you? What does that, what does it sound like it means to you, okay? When God says, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. What does that sound like to you, okay? Anybody? I, I, think, I think maybe this is in your notes. But here, here's what Jesus is saying, okay? I think this will be helpful as we think about Mercy. First, it emphasizes personal, interpersonal relationships over religious ritual. Uh, What do we mean by that? See, Jesus was interpersonally mingling with sinners. And the religious people were like, you can't do that. You can't do that. And Jesus said, well, you know, they're sick. They're spiritually sick. And they're the ones who really need a doctor. They're the ones who really need help. And then he says, go go and learn. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy more than sacrifice. See, interpersonal relationships over religious ritual. In other words, we can do our religious activity, yet fail to show mercy to those in need. And and Jesus, Jesus is not saying, hey, I'll take the religious activity. If you fall short on being merciful to others, no big deal, because all I'm really worried about is you get your tithe in or you get your this in or that in. No, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. What, what does that mean? It, it's what James said in his letter. You know, pure religion, pure undefiled religion is showing mercy you know, to the widow, to the orphan. In other words, religion without mercy is useless. That's really what it means. Religion without mercy. Showing mercy to others is useless. Now, I've got to hurry. I've only got five minutes here, and this is really important. When you look at this beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You must avoid interpreting this beatitude legalistically. And what do we mean by that? It doesn't mean God isn't saying to us, you be merciful and you'll earn my mercy. You you gonna be merciful to people, kind of like the Pope was like earlier. Just be have good heart, have a good heart toward people. Good heart's all that matters, or or just go show mercy and and you'll earn my mercy. No, that is not. That would be a legalistic approach to this beatitude. Uh, it would be like a lurch, a lurch toward legalism, as if. We can earn God's mercy through showing it to others. This verse does not imply... Now listen very closely. This verse does not imply that the cause of our receiving mercy will be the fact that we receive mercy. I think it's in your notes, but listen carefully. This verse does not imply the cause of our receiving mercy will be the fact that we receive mercy. Being merciful is the natural result of receiving Christ and receiving the grace and mercy of God. If we are not merciful, we cannot have received God's mercy. That's the bottom line here. If, if we are not merciful, it's an indicator that we have not connected with, that we ourselves have not received, embraced, enjoyed, and thankful for the mercy of God. I wish, my goodness, there's no way... Uh, I gave you an example of Judas there. Judas is, um, Judas is a great example of one who was merciless. You can read that in your notes for yourself. Let, let, me, let me wrap up this way. You'll see two pictures. The first one is uh, Warren Wearsby. Warren and uh, he's been a real big help to me over the years. And he was interviewed uh, in his latter years. And they asked him, they said, you know, what would you do different? If you could go back in your ministry, what would you do differently? His answer was this: I would have done more to encourage God's people. And you know what he's saying, don't you? He's saying, "I I would have shown more mercy." That's really what he's saying. He's saying it in different words, but I would have done more to encourage God's people. You know, he's he's written a lot of books. He's done a lot of a lot of wonderful things for the body of Christ. But as he reflects back, I would have done more to encourage God's people. And so it might be something we could think about. As we get ready to go, you know, as we look back on our life, we, you know, what what would God be pleased with? I desire mercy more than sacrifice. But then there's another picture. C. H. Spurgeon, uh, in his book "Lecture to My Students," uh, he he would he would he would bring his students over to his home, and they would sit at his table, and they would have a meal together, and they would just talk, just talk openly. And uh, uh, he told his students uh, on one occasion, he said this. He said. I have one blind eye and one deaf ear, and they are the best ear and the best eye that I have. And as I, as I, as I thought about that, wouldn't that lead to a more merciful spirit? Because what he's saying is, he's, he's, you know, he's being facetious, but he's saying, you know, as, as I think about dealing with people, as I think about dealing with people, I'm glad I got one deaf ear and one blind eye. He's just saying, look, everything, that, you know, it's not a big deal. Everything that comes to everything that I hear, everything that I see, I don't have to pounce on it, you know I don't have to fix it, you know i you know and, and and that's you know I mean sometimes that's how we feel, and when we do that, that might be the place right when we forget all about mercy. Mercy goes out the window because you know we we've heard this, we've got to react to this, we've got to fix this in, you know? so perhaps if we had like spurgeon one blind eye, one deaf ear it'd lead to a more. Merciful Spirit. Now, before we finish, okay, I need I need to just throw this in there. Uh, all of this we've said about mercy, we need to know this beatitude does not eliminate sometimes the need for discipline in the church. Okay, now, for example, in First Corinthians chapter five, when the man who took up with his father's wife, and what did Paul do? When he wrote to the church, he, did, he didn't say, let's show mercy. <laughs> I mean, he really, how he went about it in the long run was merciful, really, because he, he wanted the person to come to repentance, and so that's a merciful thing. But he didn't say, no big deal, no big deal. Let's Just don't worry about it. Let's, because if we do something about it, if we if we call him out on this or if we put him out of the church or something, we turn him over to Satan, which is what he said, let's do. If we do that, that's not going to seem too merciful. See, so so as we go tonight, you know, let's just remember this beatitude doesn't eliminate the need for kind rebuke or call for repentance or th- those sorts of things. Okay, let's let's just remember that. Uh, but it does it does call for us though to show mercy rather than sacrifice. Let's pray, fathers. We. Uh, Prepare to leave now. You have uh, once again, in this beatitude, you, you've, you've given us the kind of life, it's, 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 like you, it's like you're sitting here with us tonight saying, you know, this is what I really approve of. This is the kind of living that I approve of. This is the kind of living that I commend. It's when my people go and show mercy. So may we hear the words of Jesus as he was speaking to the young man. At the end of the story, Jesus asked, who? Who was it that was a neighbor to this man? The young man said, well, it's the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, and he says to us tonight, go and do likewise. Go and show mercy. So may we, in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, go do that. In Jesus' name, amen.